Welcome to the OA Light a Candle Meeting podcast. Visit our website at www.oalaig.org where you'll find three separate speaker feeds with over 200 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Yvonne. Thank you. Hi, I'm Yvonne. I'm a compulsive overeater. And of course, nobody took chips, so I have more time. (laughs) I just have to say, I have a hard time sometimes sharing for three minutes, so to go to 620 is going to be a challenge. So I brought backup material. Um, Somebody told me just to tell the truth, so here it is. What it was like, what happened, and what it's like now. I came into OA um, June 21st, 2008, so I still feel relatively new, a little under three years. I came in at 211 pounds, um, and I came in to lose weight. I really did. I I came in to lose weight, and I thought, I'm going to come once a week, and once I lose the weight, I'm going to leave. Well, thank God that that didn't happen, because I did... I feel like I came in with an open mind, Um, and and I'll tell you, I'll go ahead into that, what it was like. Um, Since I have time, I can probably go back to my childhood. Um, I grew up in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, which is the heart of the Amish country. Uh, My mom was Amish. Um, My dad was halfway Mennonite, and if you know anything about that culture, they're very hefty people. Um, They come from a long line of German farmers. Just to give you an example, my dad was born at 13 pounds. So I was kind of doomed from the beginning, I think. Um, So we grew up on, and I was just telling somebody who's who's from that area, Lancaster County is known for um, potato chips. They still make their potato chips with potatoes, lard, and salt. Um, When I go home, um, I feel extremely thin now. Uh, It's very different than L.A. Like, if you're in L.A. and you're not a size 2, sometimes it's hard. When you go home, or when I go home and I'm a size 8, I'm feeling pretty good. Um, So I don't know if I've always been a compulsive overeater. I think I've been prone to it. Um, I remember being 6 years old and comparing my thighs to another six-year-old. And I remember going to first grade um, in these shorts. They were striped shorts. They were red, white, and blue striped shorts. And I wore them the first day of first grade because I thought they would make my thighs look thin. So that's pretty sad for a six-year-old. I think I've always had the disease of comparison with my body. Um... I could probably tell you, and this is kind of sick, um, who in this room weighs less than me and who weighs more. I still deal with that, um, but I'm getting better at that. And I think that's why I stay. I stay. I came in for the vanity to lose weight, and I stay for the sanity. Um, I've done many, many diets over the years. I remember one time in high school, and I really wasn't that heavy. When I look back, I really wasn't that large, but I felt fat because I compared myself. I 
you know, I could always find somebody my height that was a size 2 and compare and feel like I was fat. Um, so I remember being in high school and my one friend had her jaw broken. So she had to get it wired shut. And she lost a lot of weight because she did a liquid diet. So I thought, great. So I did a liquid diet. And I lost a lot of weight. But I was, in the morning I would drink like orange juice. For lunch I would drink a root beer. And then like 2 o'clock I would drink a milkshake. And then by 6 o'clock I was so hungry, I, I don't know, I ate something. But I could do that for about a week or two and lose weight. And I thought it was great. Um the problem was I could do it a week or two, and then I would start eating and I would gain again. I probably have gained and lost, I don't know, I've never counted, but probably a couple hundred pounds over my life. Never at one time. Um, right before I came into OA, like I said, I was 2'11". Um, I'm probably around 150, so I lost about 60 pounds. And a few months ago, I stopped weighing myself. Because it just got too crazy. I started to plateau. As long as I'm losing and I'm getting on the scale, it's great. But when I started to plateau and go up two pounds, down two pounds, up two pounds, I just, it, it got crazy. So it's been a couple of months and I feel so much lighter. Um, I also did diets like L.A. Weight Loss, where I paid people to put me on a program. That worked for a couple of months, and then I stopped. I did Weight Watchers. Um, everything worked for a period of time, but I never dealt with. I never dealt with up here. I was always doing the diet, um, and it just got progressively worse. When I turned. Excuse me. Um, I'm just saying a little prayer. I, my my um, my intention is to speak from the heart, speak the truth, and hopefully you will hear something. Um, so my my disease got progressively worse. When I turned about 35 is when I did Weight Watchers, and I got down to about 140 pounds. And for me, that that was pretty good. But I was. Weight Watchers is a point system, and this is nothing against Weight Watchers. I think it could be a great food plan, but when you're an addict, which I learned later that I am, I'm a sugar addict, uh, it's not a great plan. I would have cookies in the morning, and I would have a salad for lunch, and I would have a decent dinner and cookies at night. And it was about half of my points were sugar, and I thought it was great. And again, I could do it for about four months. And then when I went off of it, that's when it got really bad. I think that's when my sugar addiction kicked in. I think I might have always been a compulsive overeater, but after I did that, my sugar addiction really kicked in, and I didn't know it. I started, I did a career change, I got in a relationship, and I think my life just became unmanageable. I didn't know how to deal with all the change, so I ate. And I wasn't a binger. I didn't, um, I wasn't bulimic. I just ate too much all the time. Um, and if you don't, if you're a newcomer and you don't hear your story here, please keep coming back because you'll hear it. You'll hear it. Um, 
But mine just, my, my addiction got progressively worse. It got to the point where, um, this is, this is kind of dumb. I bought a KitchenAid mixer, which is like a professional mixer, like $300 heavy duty mixer because I started baking. I was doing cakes, I was doing cookies, and they were good. And I, I actually got to the point where I thought I would do that as a profession. I even had a name for my pastry shop. And I, I want to just read something in the big book from, um, about that, because this describes me. It's on page 423. I realize how true it is that one of my primary differences between alcoholics and non-alcoholics is that non-alcoholics change their behavior to meet their goals, and alcoholics change their goals to meet their behavior. And that's what I did. And I just replaced alcoholic for sugar addict. I changed my goal to meet my behavior. And I, I really, I didn't know I was doing that. I didn't even know that you could be addicted to sugar. Um, so it, it got progressively worse. Um, and what happened was I started surrounding myself with larger people. I mean, I don't know how to say it. I hope they don't listen to this. <laughs> but they were bigger than me. They were like three or four of us, and we were like... I always compared us to the Sex and City girls, but we were the fat ones. Um, and we would go out to dinner. I, I didn't isolate. I know a lot of people say when they, they were in their disease they would isolate. I was the opposite. I socialized. I went out and ate. We went to, there's a place in Torrance called Claim Jumpers. And I always felt okay because my friends were worse. I remember my one friend having potato cheese soup as an appetizer, fettuccine for her main meal, and then cheesecake for her dessert. And I would judge her because I I would have a salad and I would have a regular, you know, maybe baked potato, you know, globs of cheese and whatever, and then I would have chocolate cake. But it was better because I had a salad. <laughs> but it just was crazy. And it... It was cunning and baffling to me because I felt like I was okay. Like, I see thin people have chocolate cake, so why couldn't I have chocolate cake? But they didn't probably have it three times a day every day. And there was never one person that saw me eat for three meals. So it was baffling. I remember my boyfriend saying, you know, I would complain about my weight, and he says, but you don't eat that much. And I'd be like, I know. <laughs> no. But I did it all the time. Um, and I really didn't get it. I really didn't. I, you know, there were times where I felt like, oh, yeah, I, I'm overeating. But um, it was baffling to me. And I just, I'm so grateful for OA. Because I remember the pain of it. Um, when I was in college, I'm always comfortable, like, around 140, 150 pounds. And I know I probably shouldn't talk about weight because we all compare each other. I'm about 5'7". And I know for somebody with a smaller frame, that's huge. Um, so this is just my numbers and what I do. So don't compare the numbers. Because I just, 
I usually about 140, 150 pounds. Um, but when I started working, I started a job in education. And I don't know what happened, but I just started eating more. I just started gaining weight and gaining. And it was about, it was about 36, 37. And I just, for the life of me, I couldn't lose a pound. If I tried to lose a pound, I would gain five. I remember going home and I would, this is so dumb. I go home to Pennsylvania a lot and I would pack pants that were a little tight because I thought I'll go home and lose weight. So they'll fit when I come back. I'd go home and come back at least seven pounds heavier. I mean at least. And I was even, I was sharing in a meeting last night, I had one of those scales with a knob. So I would turn it back. You know, like, it, you know how you set it at zero? Well, it would be a few pounds below zero. And then if you, if you stepped on it hard enough, it would go back further. And I just, because I just kept going up and up. And I don't know what, everybody has a different number. Somebody in a meeting last night was sharing about 300 pounds was big for her. For me, it was 200. I just couldn't hit 200. Out of college, I hit 164, and I thought I was huge. And then I lost it. Um... And then I gained it and lost it anyhow, any, many times. But something happened after this Weight Watchers Point thing and my sugar addiction took off and I started working in education. And, oh, yeah, everybody has cupcakes in, at a school. <laughs> 1,400 kids at a school. Well, you know there's going to be three to four birthdays every day. And everybody has a cupcake with blue icing. And I just, I just couldn't say no. So... It kept creeping up and creeping up, um, and I saw 197 on my, my scale, which if I go to the doctor, I'd be like 10 to 15 pounds heavier, but I would always give it, you know, that clothing factor, you know, my clothing, and I ate something, so that's like 10 pounds, right, or, you know, the crazy, crazy stuff we do in our head. Um, but I remember going... This was a year before I came into OA. I went to, uh, I joined a gym, because that was it. I was done. I joined the gym, and I went, and I, it was a Saturday morning. I didn't eat breakfast, and I didn't have any clothes on. So I get on the scale, and I said this in a meeting last night. Sorry if you were there and have to hear it again. But you know how scales go from 50 to 150 to 200? Well, I set it at 150, and then you go over, you know, 49, so I could go up to 199. Well, I moved it over, and it was 199, and it didn't move. And I can't describe the feeling of having to take that chunk of metal and move it to 200. And at that point, um, it was in Torrance, and all these, this is not prejudice, but all these really little skinny Asian women were around. And here I'm on the scale, and I couldn't even wear a towel because I didn't want the weight of the towel on there. That's how into my ego I was. Um, and I remember just pushing it up and pushing it up, and it hit like 211, and it moved a titch, and I got off, and that's my number. Never weighed myself after that. I was probably a little heavier, but I was just mortified. Um, so I think I went home and I ate. <laughs> like, that'll solve it. 
Um, and I continued to eat probably for another year. And what happened is I started to feel crappy. It wasn't just the weight anymore. It was physically, I think one of my bottoms was I was shopping in Ikea with a friend and I couldn't, I couldn't walk around for more than half an hour. Literally, I had to sit down. My back hurt. I had pain down my leg. And I remember it was, I was about to turn 43 at that time. And I remember thinking, what am I going to be like when I'm 70? 43 years old and I can't make it for more than half an hour. Um, and then after that, we went to In-N-Out and I got a double cheeseburger, fries, and a Coke. And for about half an hour, it made me feel better. The other pain of where I got to is I could only shop at Lane Bryant. I don't know what we call the fat girl store, but it's really not. Um, I would call it that. I remember the first time I stepped into Lane Bryant. It's like you couldn't buy anything unless you were size 14 or higher. And I thought... All right, I'm just going in here once. I'm buying one pair of pants, and I'm done. And then I'm going to work out, and I'm going to be able to shop at regular places. And I continued to shop at Lane Bryant for about three to four years. I even got a credit card so I could get coupons. So that didn't work out. Um, and I think that's when I started hanging out with people that were larger than me because we could all shop at Lane Bryant together. But... It's very painful to only have one store to shop in. And a lot of times it wasn't my style. It wasn't the colors I wanted, but it was the only thing that fit. And I remember when I would leave that store, I would hide the bag so nobody knew I was shopping in Lane Bryant because if they didn't see the bag, they wouldn't know I was fat. And then I would go and get pizza. But I thought it was okay because I got a pizza and a salad, you know. And probably for most people it was, but they didn't have the cookie for breakfast and they didn't have the chocolate croissant for a snack later, you know. It just, I just couldn't stop. Um, and I, I made notes here. This is, I think, my bottom line. Um, my... My sister is a few years older, and I hope they never listen to this. My sister is a few years older than me, and she's always been heavier. And, of course, my disease of comparison, I knew that. I always knew I was the thinner one. I think in growing up and in high school, I maintained my weight because I was always in sports. I played field hockey. Um, I did racquetball, whatever. I remember being in field hockey, and that was like the best time in my life because I could eat anything I wanted and I worked out four hours a day and I was the thinnest ever and I loved that time of year back east like it was fall September to November for three months I was on top of the world and then December came and it got cold and I stopped working out and I would gain weight and it was this vicious cycle year after year um, but anyway the bottom I think my my bottom was, um, so I was 43, and I went home, and me and my sister were walking across the parking lot, and my mom was walking behind us. And you got to know my mom. She's so honest. 
She said, wow, your asses are the same size now. <laughs> and for me, that was like the worst thing you could tell me. <laughs> that my ass was as big as my sister's. Sorry if you're listening to this, but I don't think she will. Um, <laughs> and I knew I needed help. I think that was April, April before I got into program. I came back, and I just, I knew I needed help. I just couldn't keep going. I knew I could easily reach 300 pounds. The rate I was going, and just like thinking like 170 was it, 180 was it, 190 was it, you know, God forbid 200 should have been it, right? No, I stayed at 200 for years and even got heavier. Um, thank God I started to realize I needed help. I started to realize I couldn't do it on my own. I bought a book called Eat, Pray, Love. I had no idea what it was about. I thought it was about eating, praying, and loving yourself. But somehow I knew that's what I needed. And for me, that's what OA is. So even though I bought the book and that's not what it was about, I feel like I got there. And I keep that book just for the title. Um, I remember saying a prayer right before I got into OA, and I said, "God, I need help." I've always, I've always had, I, I've always had a belief, and um, it just said, "I need help." I didn't know what it was. I people had talked about OA over the years. Briefly, you know, I was in counseling and somebody mentioned OA and I went to a chiropractor and he mentioned OA, but I thought it was a bunch of fat people sitting around complaining because that's what I grew up with. My mom was always on a diet. She was always in some kind of group, Weight Watchers, um, whatever. But I never saw the results. She would lose weight and then gain it, lose it and gain it. Um, and I was on that path. I was on that path, and that scared the pejesus out of me because, God love her, I love my mom, but I never wanted to be like her. I always had a lot of pride in being independent. My mom wasn't. She was very attached to my dad, couldn't do anything without my dad, couldn't make decisions without my dad. Um, and I always took pride in that I was opposite of her. I mean, God forbid, I got out of Lancaster County and came to L.A. Um, that was huge. I mean, I cried the whole way. Um, but I just didn't want to be like her, and I saw, my, I saw myself on that path. My mom has about 10 to 11. She has 10 brothers and sisters. I'd say eight of them are over 300 pounds. Um, and I just started to see myself on that path. And... I didn't want to be like that. I just didn't want to be like that. And they're they're good people, God bless them, but I just I couldn't be like that. Um I forget where I was, but anyway. <laughs> oh, I I saw myself on that path and I said a prayer that I needed help. And then somebody at work, and I, I don't even know the timing. I don't know if it was a couple of days, a couple of weeks, but somebody told me that there was a lady at work that lost 100 pounds and kept it off for five years, and she was thin. 
She was my height. She was older than me. And she was about a size four. I was like, wow, I need to talk to her. So I sought her out. I had a seat, and I was going to do what she did. And she's the nicest person, very sweet lady. And she started telling me that she didn't eat sugar or flour. Am I allowed to swear? (laughs) No sugar, no flour. I can't. No sugar, no flour to me felt like you were going in a prison cell. (laughs) What I didn't realize is I was already in a prison cell. I didn't realize that the freedom was the no sugar, no flour for me. Everybody has a different abstinence if you're new. Um... So I didn't like what she said, so I kind of let that go. But something she said I just kept going back to, and I must have gone back to her three to four times. I said, so when you go to a birthday party, you don't eat cake? No. You don't, like, put honey in something? No. You don't have, like, rice pasta? No. (laughs) I just couldn't imagine that. I just couldn't. I mean, that that to me seemed like a granola diet, like the the hippies from the 70s or whatever. I just, that wasn't me. I mean, I was a meat and potato and cake eater. Um, But I kept going back. And something she said, she started to relate it to alcohol. Like a sugar addict is like an alcoholic. And I started to get it. I've always admired alcoholics in recovery. I I never had that issue, but I admired it. And I start it started to click. And I I, it took a long time for that really to click. I, I think I accepted the no sugar, no flour for a while because I just wanted to lose weight. Um and then she talked about an eating plan and all that and I thought she said, just go to a meeting. And she was actually in a different 12-step meeting that no sugar, no flour is for everybody. So I went to that meeting, and there were women getting up in the front that were thin, and they lost 100 pounds, and they were talking about how free it was, and I was sitting there crying. And I remember what I was wearing. I was in sweatpants because that's all I could fit into, and some ugly top from Lane Bryant because that's all I could fit into. And And they kept talking to the newcomer, which was me, and I hated it. I just didn't want them to talk to me. And then there was a there was a break in the meeting, and, you know, there's a lot of pushy people at that meeting. But one lady came up to me and was like, you know, how great this is, and she, I said, I don't know if I can do it. She's like, well, would you rather be a size 14 or a size 6? And at that time, I would, would have loved to have been a 14. So I, but then a lady next to me, I I think I went back, I went back one more time, and I just, what's funny though is I walked into that meeting abstinent. Even though I said I couldn't do it, I knew I needed to. And I didn't have like one last meal because I thought it was like soccer practice. Like you had to practice before you showed up for the game. So the night before I went to the meeting, I thought I had to be abstinent or they wouldn't leave me in the meeting, like be like an alcoholic showing up drunk. (laughs) So I remember that night before, it would have been June 20th, I didn't have a cookie that night. 
I didn't know that that was my last hurrah, because I probably would have had a bigger cookie. <laughs> but I walked in on June 21st, 2008, and I've been abstinent ever since. And I truly believe that it's a gift from God. Truly believe that. If I had walked in here and had to pick my own abstinence, I would have picked no purging. That would have been easy for me. I don't throw up. <laughs> I, just, I mean, that, but that's what I would have picked because I see beautiful thin women get up here and they say they don't purge and that's their abstinence. I'm like, great. But if I would have picked that, I'd probably be 300 pounds. I truly believe that God gave me the gift of no sugar, no flour. And at first it felt like prison. It really felt like prison. Um... But I kept thinking of this lady, and I really wanted to be thinner. I really was tired of frickin' Lane Bryant. I, I can't even tell you. I hope I never go back to that store. Um, I'm allowed to use names, aren't I? Sorry. <laughs> Sorry if anybody's listening to that. Um, but I treated myself. I think the, the gift that I have is I work with kids, and I see a lot of spoiled kids, and I see a lot of parents give in to their kids, and it just reinforces what they do. There's five-year-olds that come to my school that don't want to come to school, and the parents say, what do I do? They don't want to come. And every time that kid cries and they take them home, that kid gets worse. And how that helped me was I treated myself like a kid. Like, if you take candy away from a kid, they're going to throw a tantrum. If you give it back to them, they're going to be happy. But they're going to want more and more and more, and that was me. I was throwing a tantrum. You took my sugar and flour away, and inside I was throwing a tantrum. I remember on the way home one night, I stopped for gas, and there was a McDonald's across the street. And I, I was still fighting the physical cravings, and I just wanted that so bad. I, I don't know what got me through. I, I, I just went home, and I cried, and I called somebody. And I think she didn't want to talk to me because she said, Well, I'm on my way out. I only have five minutes. <laughs> and she ended up talking to me 15 or 20, but I think that one phone call was a lifesaver for me. She said, Um... What did she say? How do you comfort yourself? You have to find other ways to comfort yourself. So I took a bath and I lit a candle and I think I did some writing that night. Um, but that's how I had, I had to just keep saying no because what I've been taught in my training is you need to set boundaries with kids. I mean, once they know their boundaries, they actually are happier. And that's what I did. Like, this was a spoiled little child you were taking their candy away from. And I was throwing a tantrum. But I knew enough. If I said no enough, that little spoiled child would quiet down. And the benefit, the girl at work that told me, she, I said, how long until the cravings are done? And she said, it took her about 90 days. It took her about three months until it didn't have cravings. So I thought, I can do it for three months. And then my ego got involved, which is good. The longer, the more days abstinent I had, the more I didn't want to give it up. As I kind of got a little egotistical about it. I mean, I have to be careful with that because if I get too egotistical about it, I could lose it. But now it's like the more days I have, I don't want to give it up. 
um, like it's just not worth it. Like that cookie now isn't worth it. Like I still have thoughts of it. Um, something happened this week. I found out um, I'm in education, and I they told me that I'm not going to have a job in September. Mm. And outside the office where you go in and sign for your pink slip was a box of donuts. And I got my pink slip, and I, I, I'm in a job that I love, so this is hard for me. Um, and I walked out, and there were donuts. And I kind of was a little bit bitter. Um, thank you. Because there was the secretary is there, and she's about a size two, and she's putting a donut down her mouth. And I'm like, how the frick does she get to eat one, and I don't? And I thought, this would be a good day to have one. But it wouldn't. I mean, it would just set me back into that that addiction. I remember somebody saying in a meeting one time that um, she might be able to have sugar now, but it was kind of like going ice skating on thin ice. If you fall through, you might pop back up, but you might not. And that's what keeps me abstinent. I have the thought sometimes that I could have it. Because I hear other people having it. People in program have it. Oh, she has it. Maybe I could. But it's, for me, that's skating on thin ice. And I think what happened to me is, um, I like this quote, the truth shall set you free, but at first it'll piss you off. (laughs) And that was true for me. The truth was I was a sugar addict, but that pissed me off. I didn't want to be a sugar addict, but I was. And the truth has set me free. I feel now like I got out of the prison. Somebody at another meeting was sharing about this, and at first when she said she was in a prison, I thought that was, you know, not having sugar and flour. But the prison was eating like that and not being able to shop at other places, not being able to walk around for more than half an hour. And I feel like OA has opened the prison door, and, I mean, it's still open. I could go back to that. But the freedom is on the other side. For me, I have so much freedom with abstinence. Um, I even said to my boyfriend today, I'd rather lose my job than lose my abstinence. I really would for today. And I hope that I I stick with that. There are people in here that have shared that they've lost parents, that they've lost husbands. They've lost many things. And I often wonder, could I stay abstinent through that? And they do. And that helps me. If they can stay abstinent through it, I can. Um, So what is it like now? Um, It's much more freeing. I mean, my life still is challenging. I mean, I, um, you know, not well, I still have hope for my job, but finding out that I might not have a job, there's things going on in my apartment building that are driving me crazy. but I deal with them today. I have tools. I come to meetings. I write. I read literature. I feel my feelings now. I think before what I did was I would stuff my feelings. Um, I just, I didn't want to feel things, so I would eat, and it would just kind of numb me. So there's just so much more freedom now in abstinence, and I thought I'd, actually, this is amazing, I thought I'd have a lot more time to talk about the tools of recovery, but 
I'll just, the things that work for me now is I have a plan of eating. Um, when I first came in, the reason I left the other 12-step program was they weighed and measured their food, and that felt like a diet to me. So I came to OA because nobody told me I had to weigh and measure my food. And, and I lost weight, and once I plateaued, I started creeping back up, and that's funny, I started weighing and measuring my food, and I found freedom in that. Because what I do is my carb will get too big, my protein will get small, and my vegetables will get small. So I have to weigh and measure my food just to keep myself in check. When I go out to eat, I don't. And it's, it's not about weighing and measuring your food. For me, that's just a tool. Um, I started sponsoring somebody. I call my sponsor. Uh, we go through the steps. Um, and I don't have time to go through them, but... I think that's where the recovery is. It's like I'm constantly working on myself. I'm constantly talking about how I'm feeling instead of eating over it. I go to meetings. I write. Use the telephone, reaching out, literature. Um, the thing I read kind of, it's interesting is action plan is a tool of recovery. And now I have to. I have to have a plan to go to the grocery store. I could before. I could not go to the grocery store for an entire month. Now I need to go every week because if I don't, I'm stopping at Starbucks, I'm doing fast food. It just doesn't work for me any anymore. And service. Um, I'm going to stop there because I, I, I want it to take questions. Um, but one thing I want to just end with before I take a question is uh, I love this quote, and this is true for me. This is my life today. Nothing tastes as good as abstinence feels. And that is so true for me. Nothing tastes as good as abstinence feels. Thank you. I guess we have one question. We have time for one question. <laughs> Michael. How do you pray? How do I pray? That's a good question. Um, how do I pray? That's kind of changed over time. I pray as best as I can. I lay down, I put my hands on my heart, and I ask God to guide me. Like I was doing it back there before the meeting started. Just God guide me. I mean, I can't tell you how nervous I was. I can't believe how fast this went. Um, I pray throughout the day, constantly. I, I want to do it more, but today, like, I had to approach um, somebody in the in my building. There's a lot of construction going on. I'm just like, God is with me. God is with me. Um, a good friend gave me the golden key pamphlet one time. And it talks about not focusing on the problem, focusing on God. And like when you're not focused, whatever the problem is, I golden key it. God is with them. God is with me. Um and it's amazing what happens, that my sponsor told me God answers us in three ways. But sometimes I pray, and I feel like nothing is happening. God answers us in three ways. Yes, yes, but not now, or no, I have something better. And I want to give you an example of something that came up this week. Um, I live in a rent-controlled building in Santa Monica. I have astronomically low rent. I mean... People pay more for a car payment than my rent. 
the building recently got bought out, and they want us out because we're cheap renters. And I've been praying for a more peaceful place because in our building, there's six sets of stairs that go from the second floor to the first floor. One of the sets of stairs runs right in front of my windows. And there's this family up in the corner of four, and the kids are constantly running up and down, up and down. I count at one time in an hour. Between the mother and three kids, they were up and down 40 to 50 times. And I've been praying for a more peaceful place, but then losing my job, you know, I just feel like I don't have the money to lose, or the money to move. And this is, this is God saying, working in mysterious ways to me. Um, they tore down four of the six sets of stairs in my building and aren't replacing them and one of them is in front of my window I have been praying for a more peaceful place there is no way I prayed for God to remove these stairs you know it's just like wow I never thought of that (laughs) never thought of that I thought and I still want to get out, so God, I still want to get out. But for now, that I felt like I won the lottery. Like, you could have given me $10,000, but then removing the steps made me more happy. And to me, that's God. I mean, he just removed an obstacle for me. So I pray for, for me to keep my job, but he might have something better. So I have to be open to that. I also, um, I don't like to call it meditate because I I got stuck on that word. I got stuck on, like, meditate seems like I had to concentrate. I had to concentrate on what God was saying to me. And I couldn't hear anything. So I kind of just now, I just, I'm just going to spend some time with God. And I either lay down or sit down and I put my hands on my heart and I just feel the loving presence. Whether that's meditating or not, that's how I'm seeing it. So, that's what I do. Thank you. More questions? Or no? That's it? All right. Thank you.